Hello, friends. I'm so happy to see your face. You too. Yay. Uh, I'm not, I, uh, I don't want to show you my toe. <laughs> but I kind of do. <laughs> I uh, no, <laughs> I dropped uh, a bottle of or a bottle of kombucha tried to kill itself on my foot yesterday. R.I.P. Mm, no, it it was saved. It's fine. <laughs> Just my toe got fucked up. Fuck. You would have been so much better off with my unintentional terrible watermelon kombucha. The story with which I oh, regaled you. Barf. Yeah. Barf. What is? Is there a big kombucha uprising? Is that what's happening? <laughs> All the fermentation is going straight to the top. <laughs> oh my god! I, I have to tell you, I have a new, um, a new tri- tripod thing. It's like the little octopus tripod, and every time I put my phone in it, I love it because you can stick it anywhere and you can bend it into whatever you want. But, <laughs> um, every time I put my phone in it, because of the way I have my case and the little like ring on the back, uh, I almost do an emergency call. Every time I put Fuck. It. No. <laughs> and of course, I'm messing with it. So I'm not looking at the phone. I'm like looking at the setup. And then I'm like, oh, please don't call the police. Please. Can you imagine please, if please. those went through every time? And uh-huh. it's like, no, no, it's okay. It's just my, it's just my wobble thing. Just, I'm just dumb. It's fine. <laughs> oh, what's this? I ha- oh, a fig oh. seed. Mm? <laughs> oh. So, no, wait. It's not nearly as fun as you think. Although I do have a great story for you. Um, there is nothing there is nothing benign or non-sexual about figs. Fair. Like everything like the way they taste, the way they look. Yeah. Figs, they are figs delightful. Are, yes. So I uh, I finally signed up for Daily Harvest, that technically smoothie company, smoothie delivery yeah. company. And this is blueberry and hemp and it's got figs in there. That's why there's one in my teeth. And uh <laughs> And I was like, uh, fuck it, because I really, uh, my appetite has been very weird, and like, I just haven't felt like things. And because I haven't felt like things, what I'm eating doesn't feel very satisfying. Ah, yeah. And also, I'm like, maybe I want this trash thing, and then I'm like, ugh, I did not want that trash thing. I know, I know, but you're like, let's find out, let's see. Right, let's find out, because clearly (laughs) what I'm doing isn't, isn't shaking it. So I was like, fuck it, Daily Harvest, I always love a smoothie. I will never not eat a smoothie. I'm an evergreen smoothie person and so um i really i really really like them um they're good and easy and like technically overpriced they work out to like seven or eight bucks a smoothie but if you factor in i probably would buy these things and not use them and they would rot (laughs) (laughs) oh the fruits themselves yeah like if you were like oh i could just diy this which you could conceivably other people could other yes. people definitely. But they could. make they make those things for people like us where it's like uh-huh. Okay, so here's here's what I'm thinking about. Like you have to get like the ninja bullet because you can't just use a regular stupid um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. blender because those don't work for crap when it comes to actually juicing something. Um and making a smoothie <clears throat> is different because you need so you have to like have space in your freezer to freeze the fruit mm. because if you're just trying to freeze if you're just trying to blend it with ice it still comes out watery. Fruit needs to be frozen. So you have to like make sure that you've got you you get the stuff. You have room in the freezer to freeze it. You have the the like the right blender, and then you have the fresh juices. So you either have to have a right. juicer, and and like pro, like a thing of protein, but like 
Fuck mm-hmm. all that. That's Fuck I'm happy. All that. Like when you break <laughs> it down, are the actual ingredients less than seven dollars? Yeah, sure. Of course. But I'm right. happy to pay someone else for their time and their use of their Absolutely. equipment. <laughs> and it's so it is so fucking simple. They literally fill this paper cup. Mm-hmm. Up with the stuff that's in it. So this one, this is blueberry and hemp. This is blueberries, spinach, kale, figs, walnuts, hemp seeds, and ginger. Everything's organic, um, and it's it's filled up to the top, and then you f- and then you like fill in the cracks in between with liquid, whether you want like almond milk or vodka or water, Smart. Mm-hmm. and then you blend it, and then you blend it, then you just dump that's it into so your little bullet blender. Good. So they've been. Marvelous. They're really fucking good. They make a chocolate blueberry one that is sensational. Ooh, we should reach out to them for um, sponsorship. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, use promo code MURDER, I think, because that's what I did. <laughs> we should start giving out other people's promo codes. Totally. I Let's actually, hook them up. I actually bought um, Bowl and Branch uh, towels the other day and I couldn't find I knew that I had heard it on a promo code for somebody at some point they're fancy sheets oh. um, B-O-L-L and branch and um, I realized that all of our towels are like multiple years old and I don't mm. I have a thing about when towels start to get the strings coming off Wispies. of them and I will go so far like I will neglect so many things in my life but I'll sit there and trim a fucking towel I'll give it a haircut <laughs> And I was like, I need something that's not going to unravel like this. And so I've never spent this much money on towels in my life. However, would I spend $40 on an evening, like on a two-hour experience where I have a nice meal and a couple of drinks? Yeah, I do that. Would you spend $40 on something you'll probably regret? Yes. So it may... Have I did I spend forty dollars on something that I need to return right over here and have not returned and could get my forty dollars back if I just put it in a bag and walked across literally across the street? I don't even have to wait for a label. All I have to do is walk this puppy across the street. Anyway, that's whatever. the hardest part. <laughs> I I spent I spent forty dollars on a towel that I will now use all the time and which will bring me great joy and it is. <clears throat> The biggest bath sheet that I've ever seen oh. in my in my whole life, and it looks like a spa towel, and I love it. And hey. the whole time, I still have. I remember talking to my therapist one time about spending money on myself, and like how I grew up so broke and having to like negotiate. Like, if I can buy this thing cheap, I should buy it cheap. And yeah. she was like, "Listen, everybody has something that they like to spend their money on, and you don't have to feel bad." <laughs> Mm-hmm. Also, we're not we're still not really going anywhere or spending any money. Anyway, whatever. I didn't need to tell our listeners that I spent forty dollars on a towel. No, but I love it. That's actually great, right? Because I feel like when they do the ads, they don't tell you the prices. So like for instance, uh, Brooke Brooklinen, who advertises oh. with everyone, and they're like, We've got the best sheets on earth. I'm like, Yay, show me the best sheets. And then they're like, These sheets are five hundred dollars. I'm like, Yeah, I'm not Yeah. Ah, I get periods. I'm not going to do yeah. that. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, no. And let's it comes with a wash and fold service. <laughs> Absolutely. You're going to come to my house every week? Hell yes. Otherwise, get the fuck out of here. But like to hear $40 for a bath sheet when a very quote unquote reasonably priced bath sheet might be like $25 at Bed Bath & Beyond. Right. Hey, that's not a huge step up as opposed to my sheets, which I get for like, I don't know, $60 or something. Yeah. 
for sure. Anyway. I love that. Yeah, it brings me great joy. What colors um, did you get? They're just gray. It's fine. We're going to redo that. <laughs> well, no, no. I mean, so I, well, and I thought about that too. I was going to get white ones because I wanted like the whole spa look, but then you have to like dedicate yourself to bleaching them. And I don't really like to mess with bleach all that much. And then I was like, as soon as they get dingy, I'm going to get sad. I know how I get. And if I can't get, if it's white, 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 and then all of a sudden it turns, especially if it gets like yellow in spots or something, then I'll just, I'll be sad. And then I will regret my purchase. You know what I mean? Um, Somehow I ended up with a white towel and I've had it for like 10 years and I have no idea how it's still good, but it's still good if that is at all helpful. It's not, but thank you. (laughs) Because I have a white towel that is... I, that I have ruined out of no, like I haven't even touched my hair with it, which is always various shades of color. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, can I can I give like a recommendation before we even go any further? Yes, I have, this is this is multi parts. So um, uh, hang on, let me get to their Instagram. Okay, so I am very bad at finding my own TV shows and finding my own music. I'm not good at picking things out because I don't have my finger on the pulse of anything pop culture, and it's fine. It's fine. Um, there are other resources out there, but unfortunately that always me- that means I have constant FOMO, but it's, <laughs> but it's fine. Of course. Um, so uh, there is a writer named Shayna Warner, and that's S-H-A-Y-N-A-M-A-C-I Warner. Um, and uh, they write for Paste Magazine. Um and recently wrote an article called Let's Go Lesbians, 50 Years of Queer Women on Screen. Um, she's a friend, so I was looking at that and then uh, just did another post about the new L word and also a show called Work in Progress, which I started watching and I started, I texted Jen about this morning and I was like, oh my God, this is unlike anything I've ever seen on TV. It's on Showtime. Um, it is, uh, headed up by, uh, Abby McEnany. Um, so like immediately, uh, self-proclaimed fat butch queer dyke. Um, and the first thing that happens, I, I can't, I don't want to even tell you anything about it cause it's all so good. Um, but the first thing that happens is such gallows humor that you're like, Oh, Oh, Yay. I hope this is. Oh, um, Abby apparently came out of improv, uh, and I don't know if Sam Irby is writing on the first season or just on the second, but, but I think she wrote on the first as well. Yeah. Jen, Jen was like, wait, is this the project that Sam Irby was writing for? And I was like, oh my God, of course that makes so much sense. Also, I cannot seem to find out, uh, you know, Abby Jacobson of Broad City was producing Meaty as a show for FX. Mm, mm-hmm. I so remember hearing about that. Media will exist for our eyeballs at some point, and I earnestly am unsure whether or not Sam is playing herself because I haven't seen any, oh. like, I haven't seen any set footage or anything, and oh. I haven't read any, like, uh, missives in the trades about it, but... Mm. Uh, I do earnestly wonder if they're like, Sam, you're just such a magical, mystical little unicorn that you get in front of that camera, girl. Uh, I would love that. Right? I I mean. I would love that. Uh, um, Lily Wachowski of the Wachowski Sisters is the showrunner for this. Um, And... Oh! Oh, Wait, are they both sisters? Yes. Yep. The creators of The Matrix. Mm Mm-hmm. 
amazing. Are both trans women. Yep. That uh, I forget who came out first, but yes. Ah, oh, fuck. That's awesome. I know. I love it. Um, and also, uh, uh, this actor I actually saw first in um, The Politician. Did you watch The Politician? I have not. Do you love it? Uh, I really like it. If you don't like Ben Platt, then you'll hate it. Um, I don't. I don't have any opinion of Ben Ben Platt. Okay. Um, because I've, I've never seen Evan Hansen. I find it fascinating, and it has big election vibes, <laughs> although it's mm. not as absurd as that movie. Um, but there's a performer in there named Theo Germain, who um is they them or he him, uh, and just somebody who I've been following for a while, and so. When Theo popped up right away in like the second scene, I was like, oh, maybe you're just in this scene. Oh, wait, you're actually like a big, huge part of this show. Huzzah! It's so good and it is so funny. And it's every scene, like I was trying to do something else. I like to multitask. Um, I like to do things while I'm watching something. Uh, but every scene has so many visual jokes in it that you can't, you can't, like, I actually have to watch, watch it. Good TV. Oh, what t- what TV do I recommend? Fuck, fuck. Um, duh, right. Nine Perfect Strangers on Hulu. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which Lillian and I are watching together. Um, oh, it's God. really great. Uh, I don't know anything about the story. My mom read the book and she's like, oh, shit, that was a good book. And I'm like, all right, don't spoil anything. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a culty, goop-like situation. Imagine if goop <laughs> did retreats in, like, yes. the fucking uh, Hawaiian woods. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and there you have this retreat. Um for detoxification of your being for ascension to a whole nother plane. So I'm kind of hoping it's culty, but I don't, I have no actual uh, expectations. It so wait, starts you in a, how, Are you caught up? Mm-hmm. I didn't watch whatever may have premiered four, last night. Oh, it's last night? I, I don't think know it's which, Wednesdays. I don't know what the release day is. No, I've I did four. watch last Wednesday because you and I were texting. Right, right, right. Um, uh, yeah, uh, it's it's great, and it stars Nicole Kidman as like the as the head of Goop, and <laughs> Melissa McCarthy, which is probably why why Lillian and I both showed up for it. Yeah, Melissa for sure. McCarthy executive produced this and stars in a role that has absolutely nothing to do with her body, her size, etc. Nope. Um, she is stunning. She. She looks gorgeous. She looks gorgeous. Not that she hasn't always looked gorgeous. Right, right. But she looks But she's allowed relaxed. to look gorgeous. Because she's a she's... luxurious, wealthy woman yes. in this show. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. A, a woman of means. So nobody's dumping her up. Like, she looks probably the way that she looks when she does shit in her in daily life. life. Yes. Right, uh-huh. exactly. Um, she's fabulous. Her... Everything that she's doing dramatically is gorgeous, and she can't help but be so fucking funny. The, the, all of the acting is – I mean, Nicole Kidman's <laughs> accent can't be helped, but I, I think <laughs> Michael Shannon's in it, Bobby Cannavale. Like, the acting mm. in it, I think, is amazing, and the writing, the story Samara is Weaving, great. Yeah. who plays oh. uh, Jessica, uh-huh. she – man, God, she's so funny. Oof. 
fuck, she is so funny. This cast is amazing. It's a very, uh, uh, it's a very disorienting, weird show. It's sexy. It's dark. It's funny. Oh, oh, and Jason from The Good Place is in it. Yes, yes. Manny Jacinto. Yes. Is and so I, fucking good. And I clocked that right away. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, is that, oh, look at you. I got to tell you, during The Good Place, and how can you pick a favorite, but I was like, this kid is so, he's hilarious. And among these fucking titans, uh-huh. he just, he was my favorite. Yep. And like, and so to see him in a really dramatic role right now is, uh, I mean, he, he's amazing. Like, full fucking package. This guy is incredible. Yay. Yay. It's really good. It's on Hulu, but it uh, maddeningly comes out week by week. So, sorry, yeah. fuck buddies. <laughs> but you but have four right. to chew on right now. Maybe five yeah. by mm-hmm. the time this comes out. Yes, you will. You'll and have I think five only episodes. six, right? It's like a limited. Only six? Oh, I wondered if they were doing each day as as one episode. <gasps> oh, so that would be ten. Uh... Right. I love when Bobby Cannavale's character was like, so I Googled, like, life-affirming retreat, and then I was like, most expensive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I found it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Man, they're all so fucking good. Um, uh, amazing. Uh, also, uh, oh, what is it? What is it? What is it? Okay. What about so, her? This was a couple years ago, but you probably didn't find it, and... Um, it's a, it's a horror audio series. It's a it's audio fiction, and it's called "The Horror of Dolores Roach," and it's adapted from a show that did star Daphne Rubin Vega, um, Empanada Loca, but it's like a reimagining of Sweeney Todd, and Bobby Cannavale plays the Mrs. Lovett of Ooh. the two of them. It's so fucking good. I found it. Um, a few, yeah, yeah, yeah. It came out for like Halloween a couple years ago, basically. And I was listening through another podcast and they and they were cross promoting this and they were like, here, if you want to listen to this series. And it's so good. Oh my God. It's so good. <clears throat> the tagline is a macabre urban legend of love, betrayal, weed, gentrification, cannibalism, and survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. The I, horror of Dolores Roach. I have never been able to listen to uh, a fiction podcast, and this is gonna this is gonna be my first. I think you will love it. Um, what else do I have to report? Oh, I have important COVID shit to report. Uh oh, important COVID shit, and because you're gonna hear this fuck buddies in two days it's still relevant so i have uh i have a source in epidemiology who is talking about uh actual like concrete numbers and facts about delta because so much is hearsay right now so we can only really rely on each other and memes which is fucking batshit yeah it's so crazy and like if you don't if you're not sure how fucked up it is, go to Twitter and go to like the explore tab and click on COVID and the stuff that you see is not at all appropriate to what's going on. Mm. Um, so here's what I learned this morning about Delta. Delta is the variant that is causing 75% of all new cases. Mm-hmm. So it is incredibly uh high spreading it's it's now yeah it's a dominant strain 
it is seven times more transmissible than the original. Yes. What does that actually mean? Do you know? Okay, so that means uh, what's happening is there are so many more particles taking over your body that Uh any expression from you carries seven times the viral load that COVID a la 2020. Okay. All right. Thank you for explaining that to me. You're welcome. Because I wasn't sure if it was like it travels further in the air or it's like, or it just happens to be the numbers of people who have been getting it, but there's actually more of the particles in your breath. Yes. From what I understand, yes. Seven okay. times the viral load. So think about it like using a fucking room room freshener spray versus a fire extinguisher. <laughs> sure. Right. Uh. Um, uh, of course, as we know, the, the vaccine is becoming less and less resistant to it as it grows and mutates. We're at about 42, I think, the number that I most recently have is that 42% of vaccine recipients are not going to get Delta, like would mm-hmm. would be fortified against Delta. Uh-huh. So the grand majority of us could get it because it's that fucking insidious. Um, what else did I learn? I learned that outdoors are not safe now the way that they were. So the way that we uh. were like, oh, whatever, we could just go outside and do this. Because that viral load is still so strong, you're, it's not dispersing the way that it would have in, like, air. Okay. Um, it doesn't mean that indoors are more safe. Indoors are, are of course, then even more <laughs> unsafe. But what it does mean is that you – what it really, really, truly means is that you need N95 masks and you need to get the fuck away from other people. Uh. Um, because – it is also so insidious that the simple paper masks that we've been wearing are not as useful against all of that viral load. And this virus is adapting so fucking quickly. I don't know how I run into a Google phone that all of a sudden stops updating for some mysterious reason when it's done with its like fucking ice cream or joyride or killjoy um, updates. And yet... Un particle can learn so quickly what an entire populace has been doing and decides to make a fucking backroads route. I did not understand where you're going with that, but I love it. Yeah, that was. (laughs) No, that's nature finds a way. No, does it ever. So that's important information to go out and, and get. My personal recommendation is buy N95s, unlike this time at the beginning of the of the pandemic when you could not find it they are out there i got packs of them on amazon for like not unreasonable prices so make sure when you're masking you are using the mask that is supposed to protect you and protect other people because we already know that ma- that the masks we've been using are one way they are a courtesy to others and if others right. are not masking which they're not Right. I uh, I saw a man. I saw a man uh, run for the bus the other day. Get on the bus with. Uh, I mean, it was some kind of gas mask looking thing. It was just a half face thing, and it was mm-hmm. beige, not black, which I've never seen. But it had those two round things on either side. Uh-huh. Um, that like his face like was a, bee. a respiratory thing. Yes. 
<laughs> and I saw it when he was like running towards the bus. And then he got on the bus and he put it on. But then he was panting from having run it to the bus. So he oh took it my off. God. And I was like, why? That looks like a very expensive contraption. Why? Why right. would you have it and then not use it? Yeah. Fuck. All right. Um, yeah, well, I'm sorry. That was uh, more it, information will actually be concrete at. <sighs> I know. I don't know. I know. And I'm I'm booked for some shows, and I I will probably start wearing masks during the shows. Uh, I did sit on a cake the other night. I want to hear every moment of this because you know I just saw your tiny teaser video and I got so excited so um so, so first of all there's a performer whose name is Queen Sinera and she is a she's a phenomenal performer and a great MC and it's not everybody who can host a show whether it's a drag show or burlesque show any kind of nightlife thing um some people are just not suited for it and she is fucking fantastic um at a place called Lucky 13 Saloon uh, in Brooklyn, and it's like a nice actual stage. And um, the theme was the show's called Metal Grade Burlesque because it is a very rock and roll bar. Like, it's very, it looks like CBGBs, but smaller. Nice. <laughs> Where there's like stickers all over the walls and stuff. Yes. <clears throat> so, um, uh, 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 so after she had offered me the gig, she was like, oh, the theme is dirty, sticky, sweet. And I was like, I don't really have anything that's necessarily like rooted for that theme. And I was like, well, I could sing my I Can Cook too. And she was like, um, I'm not looking for sing strips this time around, but like I could book you later on in the year for something singing and maybe we could even do a duet. And so anyway, I rethought everything. I stitched two songs together. Um... And I, uh, I sat in a cake and I emptied an entire can of Ready Whip on my butt, and it was <laughs> fantastic. Um, and and afterwards, unfortunately, like the cake wasn't scooted far enough forward, so like most when I sat down, most of the cake squirted forward, and I was had my back to the audience, so like you couldn't see all the cake necessarily. Yeah. I wanted it to squirt out oh, the back. Oh, sure. <laughs> but also... I wanted people... the image of projectile cake. <laughs> yes. But also people pointed out that, like, generally cake sitters, when they sit in cake, they don't use a chocolate cake because it looks too much like poop. <laughs> so maybe it's good that people didn't get to see that whole mess. You should have was... used a red velvet cake. <laughs> Hells yes. So, and it, it made me start thinking about all of that and I was like I feel like cake sitting <clears throat> could be a relatively benign way to make some extra money but um, obviously not not to like be trivialize the art form because I looked it up and the people who are into it will like they'll go online they'll get the people who want to see it to pick the colors and then record them actually like mixing the batter and baking the cake and icing the cake. And the cake needs to look nice because the whole point is that you're wrecking it. So if it looks fucked up in the first place, it's not as fun. And, uh, and I was like, this is this is basically this is I would be producing labor. my own cooking show and showing people my butt. No, that's. <laughs> what are you? OK, what are you supposed to do with it once you sit in it? <laughs> 
Well, so that's the thing. Um, there's actually a, a performance artist who, if you if you Google cake sitting, I don't have her name on my fingertips, but if you Google cake sitting, she's literally one of the first people that comes up. Like, <laughs> there's a million articles about this one girl in Brooklyn. Um, some people will do a video where like there's almost some choreography or where the like, butt gets like closer and closer and closer to the cake so that there's some kind of like a, uh, that's what, actually what I did. Like I was going to, I went to go sit in the cake like multiple times, but didn't actually sit in it. Um, it's called manufacturing urgency. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my fuck. You so- sociopath. <laughs> Anticipation. Um, (laughs) Because apparently for a lot of people, the erotic thrill is specifically the contact, the moment the butt hits the cake is what does it for a lot of people. Um, But then there are other people who just want to see messy things on people's bodies. So they're there for the long ride. Uh, And this girl, she does, she does this in art galleries. Like there's videos on Vimeo that are not even age protected because it's not necessarily anything sexual she's just slapping her body into a cake and then so once the cake has been sat in you can then like you know rub it all over your body or your face or eat some of it or like what have you how are you not gonna eat that cake and also how much monostat do you have to have on hand for real (laughs) all of these things oh my god what is it utis or yeast infections that people get mostly um i'm fine i was fine be a yeast infection i'd imagine it would have i mean i guess it could be either it's something unpleasant any actual contact with the cake and my cooter because i was wearing underpants um and some of it like mushed up around this you know in my in my cooch cracks but it didn't actually we need some kind of uh some kind of like polyurethane jock strap (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure it's just called a bathing suit, but like <laughs> you're working on you're working on, you know, new uh, nether tools. Maybe that's a new one. Nether tools. Get a patent going. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, and I know I, and, uh, there's no, so not to trivialize anything, because I know that everyone puts a lot of work into whatever it is that they sell online. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. If there, if there were people who wanted a different angle other than me having to literally bake the cake, fuck you. Oh, my God. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. <laughs> if there's people who want to watch me sit in stuff I cooked in a crock pot, that's fine. Oh, shit. You could steam your vagina that way. Ew. I hate that shit. That's so dumb. And then you'll smell like a pot roast. It's so dumb. Like, the idea of... If you were actually going to steam your vagina, you would have to crank it open with a speculum and then sit over that little thing. Like, your steam doesn't get into your pussy. Steam... Sure, like, steam your vulva... That's fine. Nothing bad is going to happen from you steaming your vulva unless you don't moisturize afterwards. In which case, you'll get a lot of dry skin. But, like, oh, that is that is patently the dumbest lie that anyone's ever been told about their pussy. I don't earnestly know what it's for anyway. It doesn't matter because it doesn't work. It does. <laughs> Whatever benefits they peddle to you ain't happening. I'm Jen Ponton. I'm Lillian Bustle. <laughs> Welcome to All the Fucks. 
a podcast about caring too much about shit that nobody else cares about. <laughs> Fuck! Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow cares enormously about pussy oh. steaming. <laughs> uh, <laughs> can you believe that this is our first episode that we've done in real time in a little while? Can you believe that we have fucking interviewed Francesca Leo Block I know and Nikki Blonsky (laughs) oh you guys that was the most fun Lillian and I got to be together in a room for the first time since I don't know like episode 14 or some shit um recording and we just had such a blast with Nikki she was Mm -hmm. so sweet Nikki thank you so much for coming to hang out with us and share with us your stories they were beautiful and entertaining and wonderful and I just want to be invited to all of your family gatherings thank you yes for sure if you need a proxy oh my god hit us up (laughs) for real (laughs) I also like super duper want to hang out with her and John Travolta that sounds oh my god like the best (laughs) right (laughs) the best god that's so fucking cute um yeah, it's been uh, it's been fucking surreal. So exciting! Yay! We're Yay. moving and grooving. But moving today we wanted to read a little bit more of Necklace of Kisses. Yes, which we started a while ago. Um, <laughs> and we um, ended on page fifty-one. Yes. What's your bookmark? What did you use as your bookmark? Oh, what did I use as my bookmark? It is a shopping list that I wrote in a fabulous uh, coral-colored marker. Yes. Um, Need deodorant. Uh, L'Oreal Light Ivory. That's my face powder. Um, Dry shampoo. Shampoo shampoo. Oh, Junior Mint's palette. My friend Junior Mint with two T's um, has a beautiful eyeshadow palette. And also I bought some uh, of her lipstick that she just came out with. Um shaver thing oh right i bought i bought a i bought a um a trimmer uh and more flashes which i didn't get to get because when i went to the mall more was not open even though it was only five o'clock in the afternoon weird mm-hmm. things are weird things are weird right now like things are still weird um shelves are empty Almost everywhere. Ikea really? shelves are empty. Um, I was at a Dwayne Reed the other day where all the shelves were half empty. Really? I was at, yeah, ours, our grocery store in Hoboken has big signs everywhere that's like, hey, listen, we know some stuff isn't here, but there's still shortages all over the world. So, <laughs> man, and don't, they are don't really trying to grift the fuck out of us, aren't they? Just being like, everything's fine. Go back to work. Get out of your house. Give us money again. We're tired of pretending we care. <laughs> They're so fucking tired of pretending they care. Uh, God. Um, but I will say the good news is that the people who I know who have gotten breakthrough cases, they have been very, very mild. Uh, that's good. I've not heard that from my people. Um, I've been hearing about people getting, I mean, not not hospitalized, but like, Normal COVID sick, including Uh, long haul. So like two uh, weeks of acute illness, and then who the fuck knows how long it takes you to taste or smell or breathe without 
getting winded. Cro- <gasps> what? Bear, what happened? Bear, I wish I could show you this view. Bear is in what I call the peekaboo spot. So he <laughs> comes underneath my desk and he just whoop, throws his little snoot on my belly. Oh, <laughs> And I just look down and there he is. <laughs> snoot. He got that snoot. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Well, that's not surprising to me in any way, but Right, I know, I know. Yeah, so I'm not really, I'm not hearing about mild cases. I'm hearing about like, hey, it's typical COVID. It fucking sucks. I'm not on a ventilator, but bah. it sucks. And I right. don't know what my life is going to be like after this. Like, long haul is personally, to me, the thing that um, seems the most frightening because Same we don't hear. <laughs> I don't want my brain to be broken again for three months. That was bad. It's the same fucking reason we don't want Lyme disease. Like. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, but we do still go in the woods, don't we? Right. We still go in the woods. (laughs) But I will also say that, like. uh, We're not breathing in piles of ticks. book that's so nice and pretty (laughs) oh fuck god so gross and great (laughs) (laughs) all right (sighs) okay so we're with heaven who is the performer um wait no we're with pan uh, no, 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 you're right. Ending on page 50, um, Heaven is, uh, Heaven, she, Weetsy just played Seven Minutes in Heaven, or, or Spin the Bottle. Yes. With Heaven, and Pan is also at the party. Oh, okay. Um, oh, Pan comes in when they're playing, okay. Yeah, and Heaven kisses Weetsy and Weets and gives Weetsy a ruby. Right. Um, I'm just looking at the italics here. Um, oh, it's so she has like a vision during the kiss. I see. Okay. Grandma Ruby's Ruby. All right. Would you like me to kick it off or do you want to? Go for it. I fully forget which kind of voices we were using for everybody, so this is going to be a fresh start. (laughs) (sighs) Um, The darkness inside. As Max got onto his motorcycle, he felt a hand on his bicep. He pulled away. Vixan Wig was standing in the harsh parking lot light, staring at him with her tilted, purple, crazy-looking eyes. Somewhere in the darkness beyond the parking lot, Max heard glass breaking and a man yelling. I told you to leave me alone, he said, but this time his voice sounded weaker. Just come home with me, she said. We can just talk. I bet you have a lot on your mind. Max turned his face away from her. He could feel her breath on his neck. It smelled like apple liqueur, sweet and harsh at the same time. Intoxicating. Besides, we need to talk about our daughter. I haven't seen her in years. I want to know how she's doing. 
Max turned the key and revved the engine of his bike. I promise, Vixan said. I won't even try to touch you. Think of all the problems that caused before. He drove away, leaving her on the sidewalk. <clears throat> the stars were like broken glass. He wondered if that was the sound he had heard, some kind of cosmic smashing. The air sank of gasoline and garbage. A mummy, bandaged in rags, was pushing a shopping cart, talking to the night. A siren screamed, She's gone! She's gone! He found himself driving to Vic Sand's house in the hills without even thinking. It was as if something was propelling him. When he slept with her before and tried to explain that she had put some kind of witchy spell on him, Weetzie hadn't bought it. Not that she didn't believe in magic. That was the main thing she believed in. She just didn't think that Vixan needed a spell. It was only Max being weak, being hurt. Maybe she was right. Maybe he was just being weak and hurt again, but still, he couldn't stop himself. He rode up the circular driveway and parked the bike. She was waiting for him at the door, her long body silhouetted darkly against the light of the front room. She led him inside. Her paintings were everywhere. Which baby had told him about them? They rarely talked about Vixan, but once, after which baby had run away for a while, she told him what she had seen. They were all portraits of Vixan Wig, done in rich, glossy paints, full of fury and lush beauty. He was relieved to see him, see them. They made her seem like a, a person with a heart, barbed and bleeding with thorns instead of a hollow sorceress. Vixan handed Max a glass filled with greenish liquid, which he didn't touch, but he did sit down. It was more like collapsing. How is the witch baby? She's not a baby. You'd know that if you ever spent time with her. <laughs> you wouldn't want that now, would you? Her mother wouldn't want that. In spite of the sarcasm, he thought he heard something almost melancholy in her voice and noticed that she was looking over at a painting he hadn't noticed before. A young woman with a tangle of black hair and eyes like large purple flowers. She's growing up, he said. Lily. She's at Berkeley, and she's studying really hard, but I, I think she's depressed. She still does this thing where she collects newspaper clippings of the worst shit she can find and, the paper, and then papers the walls with them like you. He put his head in his hands and pressed his thumbs over his eyeballs until there was a kaleidoscope of dark, broken color. Tell me what you see, she said. They say that kids thought every time they showed it on TV, they thought it was happening again. So they had to stop showing it, but I can't turn it off. She nodded, tapping her fingernail on the glass he didn't want. What else? Uh, there was this documentary. They showed firefighters responding, and this one said how he was filming it, but he had to turn the camera away because there were people on fire, running. He said no one should have to look at something like that. But you see it anyway, Vixan said. I used to see movies everywhere. I started making movies in my head because that was the only way I could deal with what was really going on. It it always worked before. She went over to the fireplace and stirred the dead coals. Dry ash rose up. Charred remains. The thing that happened, it wasn't only about what happened to all those people. It was your darkness. 
you need to remember, Vixan Wig said before Max left her again. Lunch. Ping Chong Jia Love met Weetzi at the front desk the next day. Her hair, which was short and black as jet, had been tipped with fuchsia and lavender since the last time Weetzi had seen her. She was wearing oversized purple sunglasses, a white mini dress, and white wood platform sandals. When Weetzi saw Ping, she started to cry. Girlfriend, Ping said, what is the matter? You'll spoil your mascara. They always joked about spoiling their eye makeup, even when they didn't have any on. Weetzi didn't laugh this time, though. Come on, Ping said. Let's go to the pool. They sat under a green umbrella and ordered gazpacho, green salads, and mineral water with lime. Weetzi said, I've been in this dream, but when I saw you, I realized that nothing has changed out there. I changed my hair color, Ping said. <laughs> it's lovely, said Weetzi. And yours, perfect as always, Ping said. Then she touched Weetzi's hand. Maybe this, you being here, will change him. It's been so extraordinary, said Weetzi. And I never use that word, like a magical realist book or a Fellini movie. I haven't felt this way in about ten years. Well, that's good, honey. Just enjoy it. But what about when I come home? I don't know if I can ever come home. I have to sell a lot of Chanel to keep you here, babe. Speaking of Chanel, she added, I brought you something. She handed Weetzie a shiny, see-through, pink and silver shopping bag from the store. Inside was Coco. I thought you might want her. I snuck in when he wasn't home. Mm. Weetzie thought she would cry again. Now that she had the suit, she felt as if she had really left. Did I do the wrong thing? No, Ping. Thank you. This doesn't mean I don't think you'll be back. I know. Weetzie, I remember how much you wanted him. Ping and Valentine Jalove had been there from the beginning when Weetzie dreamed of finding her secret agent lover man. They watched her putting on her torn, delicate dresses and stomping boots, and they told her she looked beautiful. They listened to her stories about stumbling drunkenly through nightclubs, letting boys put handcuffs on her, and they told her they were worried. They heard her laugh about her bad luck when inside she felt there was a fountain of tears trying to gush up. They tried not to act too in love in front of her, even though they could never keep their hands off of each other for very long. Then Max came, and they breathed a sigh of relief. It wasn't until just weeks ago that Weetzi told Ping about the death of kisses. A huge blue butterfly the size of a hand flew onto the table. Weetzi and Ping gasped. They had grown up with small orange, white, and even black California butterflies, but never one this color or size. I knew this hotel was magical. Either that or it's a bad sign of global warming, <laughs> said Ping. Weetzi stared at the butterfly hard and thought, if it lands on any part of my body, it means Max and I will stay together. The blue butterfly rose up, circled delicately, hesitated above Weetzi's left hand, 
and then flitted away into the day. Weetzie sighed. He wants you too, you know. He's just afraid. Ping checked her oversized white wristwatch, then leaned over and kissed Weetzie's cheek. I'm sorry, honey. I have to get back to the shop. Will you be okay? Weetzie nodded, still seeking the blue wings, but the butterfly, lucky sign or dark omen, was long gone. Monsters After Ping left, Weetzie decided to cheer herself up with a manicure and pedicure. It was, after all, as Heaven had pointed out, all about the details. If her toes and fingers were shiny and cuticle-free, she always felt a bit brighter and lighter, even when her heart had darkened and sunken heavily into her chest. The salon was almost empty, except for two women in white lab coats, the red-haired woman from the pool and her son. He was holding a bottle of silver polish, which he had grabbed from the manicurist, and running in circles around giant golden Buddha with offerings of silk lotus blossoms and glass mangoes at its feet. The boy's mother, who had one silver-tipped foot, was begging him to bring the bottle back. She was upset, Weetzie could tell, but also amused, trying not to let herself laugh and ruin the effect. Weetzie watched this for a while and finally said, Can anybody here help me? The woman looked at her, but Weetzie kept her eyes on the running boy. I have a monster chasing me, Weetzie said. The boy stopped. He actually seemed more concerned than Weetzie would have thought. She hoped she hadn't frightened him. I heard that silver nail polish keeps monsters away. The boy looked at the bottle in his hand. He looked at his mother, and his features seemed to get even smaller in his tiny face. Then he handed the manicurist the bottle, hopped up onto his mother's lap, and glared suspiciously at Weetzie with his bright, tilted, silvery little eyes. I'm sorry, she said. I didn't mean to scare anybody. The woman was wearing a pale blue silk kimono with cherry blossoms and gold branches that matched the walls of the salon. She graciously waved her wet silver fingers in the air. Her voice was silvery, too, and mysteriously accented. Hmm, what mysterious accent should I use? <laughs> Eastern European. I think he's all right. Are you all right, then, Bean? Monsters, he said. There aren't really any monsters. The lady was playing a game. He seemed satisfied with this and started to stroke his mother's hair. She mouthed a thank you to Weetzie, who was taking her sandals, taking off her sandals and rolling up her white jeans. She plunged her feet into the basin of warm suds and sighed. How she loved a pedicure. It was, she truly believed, one of life's great small pleasures. While one of the beauticians scrubbed, rubbed, trimmed, and polished Weetzie's toes, she glanced over at the woman and her son. They both had skin so white you could see the veins beating under it. It looked even paler somehow against their scarlet hair. Weetzie noticed that the boy's ears formed long, downy points at the top. Weetzie closed her eyelids as the beautician massaged orange blossom-scented lotion into her legs and feet. When she opened her eyes again, the red-haired woman and her son had disappeared. Weetzie had the eerie feeling that perhaps they had never really been there. The other lady, she asked the beautician, where do you think she was from? Uh, we're from Vietnam, the woman replied. Weetzie wondered if this answer confirmed her suspicions about the red-headed hallucination. And what brought you to the pink hotel, she asked, to be polite. 
The woman had very broad, high cheekbones, full, beautiful lips, and large teeth. Our father died in the war. He was cleaning a pool the last week before the war ended, and a bomb went off. Our mother had six children to take care of and no money. One day it got so bad, we're all so hungry, we had to eat a tree. I remember my brother got so sick. That was when my mother decided to find a way to get us to this country. How did she do it? Wheatsy asked. The tree told her. It told her that my sister wasn't our father's daughter. Wheatsy was still trying to understand this when the other woman said, uh, I had to take a blood test. Wheatsy noticed that she had the same mouth as her sister, though she was much taller and larger boned. I found out I have American blood. We hated the American man that hurt our mother, the first woman said, but he made it possible for us to come here. Her sister scrutinized Wheatsy's face. Why are you here? she asked. I... I needed time away from my boyfriend, Wheatsy said, feeling embarrassed at how trivial it sounded after the woman's story. You need to show him your fingernails. He'll like how pretty you look now. Do you want a bikini wax, too? Wheatsy started to repeat that she was the one who needed the time away, but decided against it. How, how much is this? She asked when her nails were pale, glossy pink, and adorned with rhinestone flowers. Eighty, the woman said softly. <laughs> Wheatsy was used to paying $16 at one of the local nail salons. Fairy, cute, star, or happy. Now she understood the happy name. She paid for you, the sister said. Who? That lady who was here. Wheatsy thought, well, I know she's real then, and what a, what a nice surprise. You helped her. Wheatsy shrugged. She realized she hadn't really helped anyone very much since she had been here. She certainly had been helping herself, but that didn't seem to count, especially after what the beauticians had just told her. She gave them tips the size of two happy manicure pedicures, eased her feet carefully into her orange slides, and left. She saw that she had another cell phone message, though, again, and she hadn't heard it ring. It was the same androgynous voice. Please, please, we're all so worried. Please come home. The red-haired woman and her son were at the pool that afternoon. The woman, wearing a black bathing suit that was held together by lots of silver hardware, was trying to apply sunscreen to her wiggly son's white, white skin. Thank you for my nails, Wheatsy said. Oh, you're quite welcome. Oh, now she's Irish. <laughs> she's Scottish! Oh. <laughs> ah. <laughs> you're quite welcome. <laughs> it's the least I could do. I would have had to go around with five naked toes. But it was so generous. I had no idea how much they charge here. I could have gotten about five of those for the same price at Happy Nails. Where is that? The woman asked. Uh, where is that? <laughs> wow, how did my accent work? It's so terrible. Uh, where is that? The woman asked. Is that where you are escaping from? Escaping? Stay still, Bean. The woman cried as her son began to hop in circles around her. I thought that everyone who stays at the hotel is escaping something. Or someone, I suppose. I'm, I'm just here to relax, Wheatsy said quickly. The woman smeared the last of the sunscreen onto the tip of Bean's nose. She took off her sandals, took his hand, and they splashed into the pool. Wheatsy came and sat on the tiled edge, swinging her legs, dipping her toes. Where are you from? Wheatsy asked. We're escaping, 
Bean said. He took a breath, dove underwater, then came back up shaking his head like a wet Irish setter pup drenching Wheatsy. From the monsters. Really, she said. Then there really are monsters? When Bean was born, my family tried to take him away, the woman said. They have this horrid baby-stealing tradition. They take their own kin and substitute them for someone's newborn. It's just brutal. Wheatsy, who had never in her life been short on things to say, realized that it was happening quite a lot lately. We've been all over. This place is especially lovely, though, but it is cutting into Uncle Red's inheritance, along with all the dominatrix clothes I got in Italy. Can I buy you dinner tonight? Wheatsy asked, to make up for the nails. We really don't go out after dark. Monsters, Bean added. Breakfast, then? That sounds lovely. Wheatsy's head was spinning from the sunshine on the water and all the talk of stolen babies. She mumbled something about meeting on the terrace at ten. She started to walk away, but the woman called after her. Uh, we don't know your name yet. I'm Wheatsy Bat. Perry, the woman said. Good to meet you. Be careful of the monsters, Bean shouted before he plunged into the pool. Esmeralda. When Wheatsy returned to her room, the door was open and she saw the cleaning cart in the hallway. She tiptoed up and peeked inside. The feather duster was hard at work, flicking through the air by itself. Excuse me, Wheatsy said, coming inside. Yes, Mrs. Sorry, I'll be done in a minute, replied the voice. Do you mind explaining this to me? Wheatsy said, it's all seeming a little too surreal at the moment. The duster stopped moving, and the door of the room swung closed. Wheatsy backed away. Don't be scared. <laughs> I love You've it. moved to Jamaican. <laughs> Don't be scared. It sounded, it sounded Scottish. Please. <laughs> Some island. One <laughs> island or another. Then please tell me what's going on. Believe me, I know this isn't an ordinary hotel. No, the voice said. That's why I come here. And people told me I was good because people don't want to see you too much. (laughs) (laughs) This next bit. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Come on, man. (laughs) You're invisible, Wheatsy said. Yes, I come from El Salvador. I was a secretary there for an executive. My grandma taught me how to make myself invisible to keep safe. But one time I tried not to be invisible anymore, and it didn't work. I stayed invisible. So I came here. It was easy to come here and get a job like this, so I don't mind it so much now. I'm so sorry if I scared you. No, Wheatsy said. No, that's fine. I just wanted to understand. What is your name? Esmeralda. Hi, Esmeralda. I'm Wheatsy. Hello, Mrs. Wheatsy. I love the fresh towels and shower gel and how you turn down the bed and leave chocolates on the pillow. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Wheatsy watched the door open and the cart wheel out of the room and down the hall. I'll see you later, she said, before she remembered that she probably wouldn't. (laughs) 
I'm leaving all of that. There's people with Scottish accents in El Salvador. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) That night, Weetzie put on a freshly laundered Amelia with her white jeans and black sandals and took the red lacquer bridge over the koi pond to the Japanese restaurant. The fish glowed orange, red, and black under the surface of the water. Their movements made her dizzy. She was still feeling lightheaded and needed a nice, grounding meal, she told herself. Since she'd been here, she had hardly touched her diet staples, at least not her current ones. When she was 18, she could have lived on raw fish, chocolate, and beer, but not anymore. She sat at a quiet table surrounded by red and white cat statues with one paw raised, as if swiping at prey, and wiped her hands with the warm washcloth that the very tall, surprisingly broad-shouldered Japanese waitress brought. Then Weetzie ordered miso soup, spinach with sesame, edamame, sautéed pumpkin, rice balls with umeboshi plum, cold soba noodles with scallion, and tofu steak. Each item came in its own small red, black, or terracotta bowl or dish. She ate slowly with her chopsticks. Almost immediately, her headache went away. While she was trying to decide if she could stuff another thing into her mouth, a gentleman approached her table. Weetzie rarely saw men she would describe this way, but he was the real thing. Uh, Excuse me, he said. I'm sorry to disturb you, but my friend and I thought we recognized you. Were you in Dangerous Angels? Weetzie laughed. (laughs) That was so long ago. My friend Sable is a huge fan. He has a picture of you on his website. Weetzie glanced over to his table where a young blonde Kurt Cobain lookalike with a goatee and glasses was hunched over his rice bowl. He smiled shyly at her. Uh, Would you care to join us? The gentleman asked. Weetzie thought a true adventurer must always accept the invitation. The blonde, as it turns out, was Tristan Sable, an actor who played an angel on a popular soap opera. The gentleman was his producer, Dashiell Hart. Sable, he said, had recently introduced him to Wheatsey and Max's work. Sable smiled shyly. He's like the new Cassavetes. And that makes you Gina Rowlands, darling, said Dashiell. Wheatsey sighed. I wish. She's a goddess, they all said at once, rolling their eyes skyward and laughed. Uh, are you working on anything new? Sable asked. I'm working on my store, Weetsy said. I I have a store. Max is working on discovering how depressed the news can make one man. Sable and Dashiell nodded sympathetically. Ah, and that's why you're here? Weetsy shrugged. I'm not sure why I'm here exactly. I wanted an adventure or something, a a rewrite. I I had my high school prom in this hotel. They all grimaced. At least you went, Sable said. Did you go, Dashiell? Heavens, no. I was so shy, I couldn't have even asked anyone to sit next to me in the cafeteria. Me either, Sable said. He looked at Wheatsey. In high school, I had a puppet named Stem. He was a lamb, I guess, but I I never really thought of him as a lamb. He was just Stem. I carried him around with me everywhere. If I really got upset, I'd have Stem communicate for me. Prom King material, Dashiell said gently. Exactly, I was really desirable. Look at you now, darling, said Dashiell. And you play an angel, said Wheatsey. How cool is that? Sable shrugged ironically. Have you seen the show? 
I I think it's an unsung masterpiece, if I do say so myself, Dashiell said. In its way. A, a bit kooky, though. All these vampires and witches and things we make him battle. Sable said, I really like how you met the witch in Dangerous Angels. That Jane Mansfield fan club coven. How did he come up with that? It all happened, Wheatsy said. Basically. And, and how Witch Baby came? He said, that was amazing. Wheatsy smiled, but she was thinking about Max sleeping with Vixan Wig, who gave birth to Witch Baby and left her on their doorstep. Wheatsy hadn't really thought about that in years. It was easier to consider the Witch Baby Lily as her own daughter. Suddenly, her stomach cramped up, just like the first time Vixan had come to the door. Maybe it was nothing. She had just eaten too many rice balls? <clears throat> uh, do you enjoy producing? Wheatsy asked Dashiell to change the subject. Let's put it this way. As my mother used to say, it's better than a stick in the eye, he chuckled. Wheatsy said, my dad worked in the industry. It was a love-hate thing. Do you know Charlie Bat? Planet of the Mummy Men. My God, that's the that's kitsch of the highest order. I actually apprenticed with Irv Feingold for a while. You're kidding. Wheatsy wished her father was here. He would have been able to tell them his stories about how her mother, Brandy Lynn, insisted on tailoring the mummy rags to show off her figure. How he had once seen Marilyn Monroe on a set about the hidden Holocaust and blacklist references he and Irv Feingold had worked into mummy men. What else did your father do? Dashiell asked. Nothing was made. He moved to New York and did some plays. The whole thing was really frustrating. I've been trying to get my penguin movie made forever, said Dashiell. Do you know much about penguins? Wheatsy shook her head. They're really wonderful creatures. The males stand on the ice forever, holding the baby eggs on their feet until they hatch. Is that marvelous? What man would do that, I ask you? And the females go off to restore themselves, just like you're doing, darling. Uh, a little late, Wheatsy said. I think I've needed this since my baby was born. Well, good for you. A girl's got to get away. This whole place is like a movie, she said. You wouldn't believe all the strange things that keep happening. The way they cocked their heads inquisitively and the brightness of their eyes made her think of penguins. How could she explain strange? She was glad when the waiter interrupted with a check. We'll have to do this again sometime, Dashiell said as he kissed her cheek by the koi pond. Wheatsy hugged him. Then she hugged Tristan Sable, who felt much more muscular than he looked. She thought she noticed something odd, prickly, bunchy, crunchy under his white shirt. The men asked if they could escort her to her room, and at first, remembering the walk home after the mermaid's kiss, she almost said yes, but then it, it seemed like an imposition. So she went down the path alone after the Valentino lookalike arrived with Dashiell's daffodil yellow jaguar. It was later than she had realized, and once again the walkways were deserted. I'm not going to be afraid this time, she told herself. I'm in the safest place in the world. Of course, this is also what the blonde ex-wife of a certain infamous football player must have thought when she was attacked and slain just a few miles from here. Wheatsy shivered from scalp to toes. The footsteps started the same way as before, even and precise like the ticking of a clock. Wheatsy hurried under the shadows of the palm trees. There seemed to be an, another shadow, too, moving with her, but maybe it was just her own. Maybe the footsteps were just her own, too, echoing on the pavement. 
Still, she was dripping sweat and hardly breathing when she got to her door. There was a soft crunching in the leaves outside her window. Then, silence. In the morning, she told herself she would look for footprints. Now she bolted the door, switched on all the lights, found HBO on cable. Then, though she wasn't the slightest bit hungry, Wheatsy called room service. Pan. He came to the door, wheeling a cart covered in linen. She had ordered fruit ices, because after the fright she'd suffered, she decided she deserved, and needed, a bit of sugar for comfort. There were six little scoops. Watermelon, mango, peach, lemon, lime, and pineapple. They were decorated with wafer cookies and sprigs of mint. There was also a bottle of water, a glass of ice, a silver spoon, and pink tea roses in a vase. Are you all right? Pan asked when he saw her face. I'm a little freaked. I thought I heard someone following me. Do you want me to call security? She shook her head. She was too embarrassed for that. It was probably my imagination. He nodded and handed her the bill. She signed it, adding another big tip, and when she handed it back, they looked at each other for a moment. She felt a tingling in her breasts and between her legs. It surprised her and made her curious. Are you having a good time? he asked. There was something almost shy about the way he was looking at her now. It's amazing. Strange, though. How so? I don't know. The people? Like tonight, do you know who Tristan Sable is? Isn't he on that soap? Yes, he plays an angel. I met him and his producer tonight at dinner. I'd give anything for a part like that, Pan mused. Then he added, I rented one of your films. (laughs) Wheatsy laughed. Oh, God, how weird, she thought. No one had paid attention to those movies in years, and now twice in one night. I liked it. I'd like to talk to you more. Sure. I get off in an hour. For a minute, she just looked at him. Her face felt hot. Then she realized he wasn't talking about getting off that way. What was she thinking? May I come by? Pan asked softly. We could watch some TV. Wheatsy nodded. Your dessert is melting, he asked. He said as he left. Pan came back. Would you like something from the bar? She asked. He held up his hands. No thanks, I don't drink. Soda? Juice? Water? I'm fine. Relax. Tell me about you. There's not much to tell. I have a shop with my friend and I have a shop with my friend Ping. We sell vintage and our own designs. I have two girls in college. I used to be in these little films my boyfriend made. Do you miss it? Acting? Not really. I wish I could do something a little more meaningful now. It's meaningful to people who watch you, he said. He told her about how the teacher asked his first grade class what they wanted to be when they grew up. All the kids raised their hands to say teacher or fireman, and Pan's answer was an actor on a TV show. Not a movie star. I wanted to be inside that little box my mother was always watching day and night. Then, when I got older, I really wanted it. I thought it would make me less of a freak. How were you a freak? Wheatsy asked. You are so good-looking and charming. I was always so horny, he said. I think I went through my entire adolescence with a hard-on. He laughed. 
I scared all the girls off. I'd go home after school and sit in front of the TV getting high and getting off. What shows? Oh, anything. My so-called life, Claire Danes, Mm -hmm. and bad TV. I mean, reruns like The Bionic Woman, Welcome Back Cotter. I had this fixation with the Brady Bunch. I thought that the reason it was so popular was this whole underlying incest theme. I mean, here are these two families of kids living together, perfectly matched up, pretending to be brother and sister. These girls with their blonde hair and miniskirts. You liked Marsha Brady? No. Jan. I like to think about Jan and Peter. Wheatsy laughed. Then she admitted, I liked Danny. Who? The Partridge family, Danny. He was this chubby, red-haired kid. I mean, Keith was the one you were supposed to like, but I thought he was kind of hot when I was eight. He was funny. That's right. I told you about my dogs. You're almost as bad as I am, Pan said. I figure if a show makes me laugh, cry, or come, I have to give it credit. If it does all three. (laughs) Okay. Which shows? You go first. No, you. Okay, said Pan. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. No way. (laughs) What? That's my favorite show. I'm supposedly too old for it, but I love it. And you are totally outside the demographic. What are you doing? She playfully pushed his shoulder. It fits my criteria. Laugh, cry, come. Buffy's cute. She's cute, but Willow's the one for me. (laughs) Weetsy loved Willow, the shy, red-haired lesbian witch. I love you, Weetsy said. What? You're kind of a geek like me. Pan nodded. I was heartbroken when that show went off the air, Weetsy said. But it was so funny. The last episode made me so happy. I thought for sure they would kill her off at the end. I was bracing myself. Instead, here's this girl who is had this huge vampire-slaying responsibility on her shoulders her whole life, and then she realizes that she's finally free. She doesn't have to save the world anymore. And now she knows she can just be a girl, finally. She can just go shopping. She can just play. Like you're doing here? Pan asked. In a way. Not that I have ever had that much responsibility. I mean, I've had to take care of my mom, some, especially when my dad died and I raised my kids. And Max, that's my boyfriend, he's been having a hard time since 9-11. Sounds like you've slayed a few vampires, Pan said gently. He twisted a ring on his finger. It had a large purple stone. What's that? Amethyst. It means against intoxication. He stared at Wheatsey. She could feel her face getting hot again. All kinds? What? Does it protect you against all intoxicants or just drinking and drugs? Why? He asked. She looked away from him and turned on the TV with the remote. What other shows do you like? Six Feet Under. Sex in the City. I love you more, Wheatsey said lightly. Wheatsey said lightly. I hope you don't mind me asking, but are you gay? Excuse me? Only gay men and girls have such good taste. He shook his head and gave her one of his lascivious looks. It made her breasts buzz. 
<laughs> so why do you like these shows? Undertakers in Los Angeles and frustrated, fabulous female friends in Manolo Blahniks in New York? Laugh, cry, come. I guess it's the same criteria in any relationship, Wheatsy said. You did those things to me in your film, said Pan. She held his bright gaze for a longer moment. He looked just like a Roman marble of a fawn, Waitsy thought. Tilted, wide-spaced eyes, high cheekbones, small flat nose, broad mouth, cleft chin. But his skin and hair were dark, and his eyes so dark brown they were almost purple, like his ring. It was hard to see the pupil, but Wheatsy thought it had a slightly vertical shape, like a goat's. When he smiled, there was a gap between his smallish, very white front teeth. Wheatsy remembered hearing that gap was supposed to be a sign of sensuality. She wondered if he still had those constant high school erections, but she didn't dare glance down at his pants. I want to make you laugh and cry and come, he growled softly. We can't, said Wheatsy, moving away from him. She examined her manicure for flaws. Talk to me, he said. I just can't because of Max. She stood up. I don't know what I'm doing even having you here. I was scared and you're so cute. I am sorry. He nodded, bouncing his shiny black ringlets. His skin smelled of almonds. I'll go, he said. No worries. She saw that outside the sky was whitening and there was dew trembling on the leaves. The air smelled faintly of smoke. She wanted to tell Pan to come back, but he was already far away down the path. Dirk McDonald, Boy Detective. When Dirk got to Wheatsy's, Hilda Doolittle was sitting at the counter in the sunny front room drink, drinking an iced mocha latte with extra whipped cream and writing poetry in her journal. She wrote, The God in You, and then crossed it out and wrote it again. She looked up, saw Dirk standing there, and jumped, then adjusted her heavy black-framed glasses on her nose. Her boss's best friend wouldn't want to catch her slacking, especially with a name like Doolittle. There was a new shipment of good-as-new vintage punk t-shirts to sort through, and a couple of customers were drifting around the store. Hey, Hilda, have you heard from Wheatsy? Dirk asked. His face looked worried. Nope. Ping's been working with me. I think she might be away or something. Where's Ping? She got a lunch date. Just then, Ping Chong Ja Love came walking in, swinging her lavender handbag and tottering on her platforms like a child playing dress-up. She hugged Dirk and complimented him on his hair. It was cut very short, dyed black, and styled with lots of product the way he always wore it now. Nothing adventuresome like the mohawks or rockabilly pompadours he used to sport, but he liked the attention anyway. She could still get away with fuchsia-tipped locks, he thought. Some women have that advantage over men. I was just asking Hilda about Wheatsy, he said. Ping gestured for him to follow her into the back room. I'm not supposed to tell anybody, Ping said. Dirk couldn't help feeling hurt. Suddenly he was anybody? He had always been Wheatsy's best friend, since they were practically just out of headgears. It was true that recently that they hadn't been as close. Actually, maybe it was longer than he thought. Ever since Wheatsy and Max had moved out of the house, they all shared and back into the cottage. But Dirk, still Dirk didn't understand why she hadn't come to him. 
It didn't take much for Ping to figure out what he was thinking. She had to tell me because of the shop, but she doesn't want Max to find out. I won't tell Max, Dirk said. She knows that. Ping noticed a box of t-shirts that Hilda Doolittle had neglected, and she began to take them out. She held up a Susie and the Banshees. I wonder if this one was mine, she said. I know none of them are mine, said Dirk. They were all ripped to shreds by 1985. Feeling satisfied with their proven cool credentials in spite of their age, they were able to return to their conversation. I promised Weetzy, Ping said. You just saw her, didn't you? Ping ignored him and waved a cramps t-shirt in the air. I have to go chew Hilda out for not getting these done. When she left, Dirk picked up the light purple faux crocodile purse and opened it. He knew that Ping was a hopeless lady who lunched matchbox collector. And there it was, among the jumble of tropical drink garnish, paper parasols, bubblegum wrappers, and exotic shades of lipstick, a gold matchbox from a certain well-known pink hotel. Dirk tossed it back into the purse and slipped out the rear of the store. Daughters. Weetzie's night with Pan lasted until the wee hour snack time, and it felt as if the minute she finally closed her eyes, she had to scrape them open again to answer the telephone. At first, she denied it. Her ears must be ringing with fatigue. It was the neighbor's phone. Who would be calling at such an early hour? But finally, she realized it was not going to stop, and she groped for the receiver. The blue lady said politely, "'Good morning. This is the front desk. You have some visitors in the lobby.' Weetsy reflexively pulled the sheets over her breasts, as if she had been caught in bed with a lover. She thought she could still smell Pan's almond scent on the bed linens. Who could her visitors be? Had Max found her? Her mother? Not that Brandy Lynn would bother. She was too busy having her hair done and drinking her martinis. Whoever it was... Weetsy felt like one of the twelve dancing princesses caught, unable to attend her secret nightly ball. Was her adventure over so soon? Actually, it was more surprising than a visit from Brandy Lynn or Max. The guests, Blue Lady said, had announced that they were Weetsy's daughters. Weetsy dropped the phone without returning it to the cradle. She pulled on the white tank she had been wearing the night before. The white jeans had some soy sauce on them, so she wore the black trousers with the studded belt and shoved her feet into the orange sneakers. She didn't stop to wash her face or comb her hair. Cherokee and Witch Baby were sitting in the lobby. When they saw her, they stood up. Their features were motionless in their faces, making them both look like little angry dolls. They didn't say anything. "'What are you doing here?' Weetsy said. "'You're supposed to be at school.' "'What are you doing here?' Cherokee snapped. "'You're supposed to be at home? With Dad?' Weetsy gestured for them to follow her out onto the terrace. It was a humid morning, and she was nervous. In seconds, she was soaked with sweat. She felt like a ladyfinger that had been dunked in rum, while her daughters were chilled cucumbers, ready to be sliced for tea sandwiches. Maybe it was something about the hotel that made her think this way. The jacaranda trees were shedding purple blossoms. There was a faint scent of rain in the leaves. Waiters in crisp white shirts were spreading linen cloths on the wrought iron tables. On the lawn below the terrace, a white tent was being set up for a wedding later that afternoon. 
Men in white jackets were running back and forth, carrying chairs, tables, ice sculptures in the shape of swans, and urns of peonies, lilies, and white roses. It was all so elegant and perfect, she didn't want it to end. I needed some time, she said. A little vacation. This is the first time I've done this in my whole life, ever. But you didn't tell Dad! Cherokee yelped. He called us the first day. He sounded terrible. Wheatsy wondered what terrible sounded like. She thought Max always sounded that way lately. But then maybe just when he spoke to her, not his babies. How did you find out anyway? She asked. I told Ping not to mention anything. Dirk told us, said Cherokee. And that is so adolescent of you to not tell anyone. I needed some time alone, Waitsy said again. She realized how feeble it sounded. Why are you so angry at me? Which baby spoke for the first time then? Her purple, tilted eyes flashed as brightly as the diamond stud in her nose. Look at you, she snarled. How old are you? Look at your outfit. That hit Weetsy below the studded belt. Excuse me, Lily, she said sharply. Look at your outfit. Which baby had on a white men's tank top, low-slung black trousers cut off below the knee, a black belt with silver studs, and orange suede sneakers? She turned away and smoothed one hand over her newly shaven head. And you got everything you have on out of my closet, Weetsy said to Cherokee. Her other daughters shook out her long blonde braids. She was wearing a hot pink satin slip over jeans and pale pink stilettos. Not the jeans, said Cherokee. They're juicy couture. And anyway, we're young, she added softly. I may not be young, but I am a cool mom, and you are lucky to have me, said Wheatsey. And it is just mean for you to come here and talk to me about my fashion sense. It's just mean. She turned away and looked out over the hotel grounds. The palms rustled and the flowers turned up their faces with the first tiny drops of rain. The water in the pool whispered as the drops hit. The birds were silent, and there were no blue butterflies in sight. Weetsy wondered if the rain would affect the wedding ceremony, what the bride was thinking as she put on her veil, if mud would splatter on her dress. "'I will come back when I am ready,' Weetsy said. "'You can tell your dad that I need this time, and you both need to get back to school.' "'Fine, we will.' Witsy wanted to call them back, ask them to stay for breakfast, a swim, spend the night, maybe. They could all cuddle in the big bed, eating chocolates and watching cartoons like they used to. But she knew they wouldn't stay. She thought of Cherokee, at three, watching Witsy put on the gold lace coat from Grandma Fifi. Mommy, you look like a princess. Cherokee dressing up in Witsy's leopard print silk slip, fur-trimmed cream cashmere sweater, and gold mules. I want to look just like you. Witch Baby never said that. She was sad a lot of the time. But Weetsy knew that even her changeling daughter had wanted in some ways to be like her. And now they had looked at her so coolly, as if she were only monstrous in her orange sneakers.
Woo woo. Tara. Yay. Yay. You guys, you know her now. Uh-huh. <laughs> we know her now. She's our buddy. She's our buddy. <sighs> <laughs> oh my god. Hey. Hey. Hey, you know what thing that I definitely should have said before? Huh. I cut my bangs. Oh. I cut, oh, I see. I cut a long Cute. bang. Yes, yes, yes. I don't think I have cut bangs on myself for like, uh, I don't know, maybe not 10 years, but probably like eight. Ah. Eight. Yeah, something like eight years. And I literally, I was influenced by the internet. I swear oh. to God. And I was oh, just really? like, huh, I haven't done this in a really long time. And I used to just cut them myself. So maybe. And, um, I started all the way at the bottom of my face mm-hmm. to just be safe. And then I was like, okay, these are too long. And then I went up to my bottom lip and I was like, uh, still too long. And then I went to my top lip and they're fucking perfect. Yay. Fucking perfect. And that's only, I think, maybe like one to two inches below what they, what the rule of thumb is, which is like your high cheekbone or something. But huh. I want them long enough that if I need to forget about them, I can. Sure. So I cut bangs, I which seems Yay. like a, a, a multiple fuck situation. <laughs> I uh, I can't have bangs, and I tried it for years and years and years because for some reason I thought I had a large forehead, which I really don't. I have a slightly round forehead, but you don't uh, have a large. You have a no. I don't have a large face. No. And the very first time I remember in high school that I wore my bangs back because nobody had seen my forehead. This girl called me a five head, and then I was scarred. So oh. Um, Fuck the problem with me with bangs, yes, well, this was high school, but fuck high schoolers. Um, the problem with me with bangs is that I have this wicked cowlick, which is nice because it makes this always natural, the swoop here. Yes. But it yes. also makes bangs in the way that I was trying to pull them off completely impossible because I have Aww. to straighten the living shit out of them, um, compounded with the fact that I actually have curly hair, but I was in denial about it until like 10 years ago. <laughs> Hey, I mean, how curly does it get? Um, I mean, if I use a diffuser, everything that is under here that just gets curly naturally, it gets a little curlier than that. Cute. Yeah, but it doesn't, but it needs help and I don't like using a diffuser and yeah. You know, so, Lush, that's, I see now. I don't think I've ever seen how like fucking ringlety you are, yeah. Shirley Temple. Yeah. Um, Lush has a has a styling cream called Curl Power, I think. Oh, I use it. It you does do? not actually make my hair into curls, but it makes them makes it soft and like a lot more manageable. Oh, interesting. I feel like they're marketing it as if you have any curl in your hair whatsoever, this will help encourage it to. Yeah, it also come says like lo- lock cream on the outside. Oh, which- true. I was like, maybe this will be too thick for my hair. That's the problem. Like, anything in my hair weighs it down, so it m- pulls the curl out a little bit. But if I don't put anything in it, then it's just a frizz. Anyway, let's talk about things you guys can't see on the podcast, which you can't see. We love you, fuck buddies. You'll just have to trust us. We look gorgeous. For fucking real. <laughs> Also, if you don't follow me on Instagram, um, you should definitely get on over there and there's uh, cake sitting. Yeah, <laughs> or at least I think the, I only what the fuck did you call stories, anticipation? Gonna... Ma- oh, manufactured, manufactured urgency. urgency? 
<laughs> There's the promise of manufacturer urgency of cake sitting. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, because it's all boomerangs. Um, people were so enthralled by my performance that there's no video of it, but that's fine. Man, a boomerang nice is the that essence of manufactured urgency. Yes, it God is. God damn. Yep, so you can just watch my tush bounce on that cake ad infinitum. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been weird. <laughs> Nothing but. B U T T. B U T T? Yeah. But, cake sitting. Oh. T T Y L. B U T T. Bye bye. Fuck me. Oh, I love you. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. So good. Oh, God. <laughs>